Amen. If you would turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be finishing up Paul's uh, introductory benediction here at the beginning of his letter to the church in Ephesus, we'll be focusing particularly on verses 11 through 14. I'll read again for us uh, verses 3 through 14, just so we can see the, the full sweep of the context of Paul's doxology here. So if you're able, would you join me and stand as we read from God's Word together? Pay careful attention. This is God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, these are words of life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, work life in us through them, that your Holy Spirit would uh, take these words and apply them to our hearts. Give us faith to receive them um, and to lay them up in our hearts and to practice them in our lives. Lord, we pray that this would not simply be an exercise in learning information, but that we would uh, meet with you, our God, uh, through your word, and that your Holy Spirit would change us, make us more like Jesus, and help us in all things to see him and to put our hope in him. For we ask in his name, amen. Uh, the Christian life is, uh, in many ways, all about waiting. We live in between the decisive Victory that, that Jesus Christ has secured for us in his death and resurrection. Uh, we live in between that and his coming again in glory on the, on the last day, uh, the resurrection of the dead that we profess every Sunday when we confess the Apostles' Creed. We live in between the initial accomplished work of redemption through Christ's death and resurrection uh, and that future consummation, the, the bringing together, as Paul says, the uniting of all things in Christ, when the, the work that he has begun in us, he will bring to completion 
in that day. And so we live in between. And, and as we live in between, we, we wait, knowing that Christ has won victory for us through his work, but yet not experiencing the fullness of the redemption that he has purchased for us through his blood, through his death, his resurrection. It's, it's similar to uh, the, the waiting time between D-Day and V-Day. Think about World War II as an analogy. Uh, D-Day, you had allied troops storming the beaches of Normandy, pushing back against uh, uh, the German troops there, occupying France, pushing, 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 and you had all these decisive victories along the way that were turning the tide and, and bringing victory to the Allies in that conflict. Uh, you have Normandy, you have the Battle of the Bulge, you have all of these decisive victories along the way that, that left Germany very much uh, knowing that they were a defeated enemy, yet still putting up a fight, uh, still resisting even as Allied forces were pushing against uh, their occupied areas and bringing, finally, uh, at the end, bringing victory. But in between D-Day and V-Day, what did they have to do? They had to wait. They had to fight. They had to keep on pushing forward, and they had to hope. Uh, we, we kind of live in between D-Day and V-Day in some sense, except that our victory is much more secure in terms of the outcome uh, than even theirs was in World War II. Christ has died. Christ has risen from the dead. Christ is coming again. And so we have for ourselves a secure outcome because of what Jesus has done for us. But waiting is hard. Tom Petty teaches us that, that the waiting is the hardest part. And that's true for the Christian. Because waiting means that we often face frustration. Uh, we want things to be different than they are. And we live with Disappointment, we live with yearning, longing for things to be made right, longing for all the wrong things to be made right, or even just some of the wrong things to be made right. We live with yearning, and sometimes that yearning is frustrating because we want things to be better now, and they're not. Sometimes that waiting leads to temptation, and we, we begin to struggle with faith and doubt, uh, and, and that's that, that's a part of living by faith. Sometimes there's doubts that come in and we struggle to believe. Is it worth it? Uh, are God's promises true? My experience of grace now sometimes doesn't feel like an experience of grace. Sometimes the, the tragedy of sin in my life, my own struggles, my own selfishness, sometimes that overshadows the work of grace. And, and we're tempted to wonder, is, is God at work uh, in me? What's he doing? Um, is, is it true? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Uh, Paul knows that. Paul knew that deeply. You can read in Romans 7 how deeply he knew it. Uh, he struggled with his own sin and, and laid that out as a model for us, how to do that in faith. Uh, we need help from God as we wait for that final day, as we wait for the final consummation of God's work that he has begun in Jesus Christ. And so how, how do we wait faithfully? What, what certainty does God give to help us live faithfully for his glory? Because that's, at the end of the day, that's what we need. Uh, we need certainty. We need a, a, a reminder, an assurance that God's promises are true, that he is faithful and that we can hold on to him in faith as we live this life of waiting.
hoping in the Lord. Paul gives us three uh, main truths, three truths that um, remind us of the certainty of salvation in this, this part of Ephesians. Um, if you have the outline, uh, you can ignore it because it changed between Thursday and today. Uh, so the three things we're going to look at, and it, it, there's some overlap, so I wasn't completely off, um, but the three things that we're going to look at this morning, all of which lead us to praise God's glory, the three things that we're going to look at this morning is the certainty of God's plan, the certainty of God's plan, uh, the certainty of salvation in Christ, the certainty of salvation in Christ. And then where we'll, we'll dwell, hopefully for the longest part, is the certainty of our inheritance. The certainty of our inheritance. So the certainty of God's plan, the certainty of salvation in Christ, and the certainty of our inheritance. Let's look first at the certainty of God's plan. Paul has emphasized multiple times throughout this benediction, this doxology, the centrality of God's plan. Uh, and the, the driving force of God's sovereignty over all of life. So notice in verse uh, 3 and 4, particularly verse 4, as, as Jeff preached on this a couple of weeks ago, Paul points to God's electing love before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's part of his plan. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9 uh, highlights again God's purpose of uniting all things together in Christ. And then in verse 11, Paul takes these multiple words that he's used to describe Paul, uh, God's plan, and he just dumps them all into one verse. Uh, he's reminding us, he's highlighting, he's emphasizing for us the certainty of God's plan that he is able to not only make plans, but to carry them out, that, that nothing can thwart the purposes of God. Notice with me verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a plan. It's a sovereign plan. It's a plan that cannot be upset by uh, human sin or by human plans. All throughout the scriptures, we see this, this back and forth between the plans of men and the plans of God. And at each point where there's conflict between those two, we see God's plan prevailing. Uh, think, for example, of the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. It occupies you know, the 14 final chapters of the book of Genesis. Joseph is one of many brothers. They don't like him because their father favors him. He, the father, Jacob has given Joseph this coat of many colors and, and has shown favoritism towards Joseph. And all the other brothers are mad about it. And, and um, maybe Joseph didn't do everything right either, but they didn't, they didn't handle it right. And they make this plot against Joseph uh, to, to kill him even. They end up not killing him, but selling him into slavery. Uh, through a course of events, Joseph ends up in Egypt uh, he ends up in prison. He eventually ends up as kind of the prime minister of Egypt, placed there at a time when a great famine is about to come, and God reveals that to Joseph, and Joseph is able to lead Egypt to store up food during the years of plenty, so that when the years of famine come, guess what? There's food. 
And through that food for Egypt and the surrounding areas, God preserves and saves his people. And he does it through the simple plans of Joseph's brothers. So that at the end of that episode, when Joseph's brothers come back into Egypt, they realize uh, after a little bit of time that it's Joseph who's giving them food. It's Joseph who's second in charge in Egypt. Um, they're scared that Joseph's going to take it out on them because of their evil uh, plans against them and their, their wicked actions. And Joseph tells them, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, for, for the saving of many. That, that summarizes just about the whole of the biblical story, that you've got God's plan that overrules all human plans, and, and he works even through sinful actions. Even the cross, God's plan, the, the Son of God put to death at the hands of wicked men. But it was God's plan. God has a plan, and he is able to not only make the plan, but carry it out. Uh, as, as Paul highlights, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's not hypothetical. Uh, he is able to carry out his plan. And therefore, for us, there's certainty even though we may not be able to see all the details of the plan, even though the, the clouds may seem dark and gloomy for us, we, we're reminded from William Cooper's hymn uh, that behind, behind those clouds there, there hides a smiling face, that God intends good for his people, and nothing can stop his plan for his people. And so therefore we can have certainty in God's plan. But notice also there's certainty in our salvation in Christ you probably picked up on this through uh, reading these verses that Paul repeats multiple times uh, throughout this, this word of praise, uh, a phrase, in him, in him, in Christ, uh, in him. Paul is highlighting for us that all that has been needed for our salvation, all that's needed for our salvation has been accomplished in Christ. Um, Christ is the one in whom there's forgiveness. Christ is the one in whom there's redemption. Because in Christ, our sins have been paid for at his cross. In Christ, we have new life through his resurrection. Salvation is in him. Uh, it's a done deal. There's, there's no piece of the work of redemption that remains to be done outside of what Jesus has done. He has done it all. And therefore, the key to having it is, is receiving Jesus. Notice Paul, what Paul says in verse um, 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Just two things to point out here. First, uh, Paul makes a distinction between hearing and believing. They, they go together, but they're different things. Um, sometimes people hear the word of truth. They hear the gospel of salvation. Sometimes you hear it over and over and over again. It hits your ears and it stops there. and It doesn't get to your heart. Paul, Paul's highlighting uh, and encouraging the Ephesians here that they didn't just hear the word of truth. They didn't just hear the good news of what Jesus did. They received it in faith. And that's, that's what makes the difference. It's not enough just to hear it, to acknowledge it. You have to trust Jesus, put your faith in him. Uh, yesterday, we've been meeting with a couple of our young folks for a communicants class, and we were talking about faith and how to, how to receive Jesus 
as your savior, and, and uh, I'll share this illustration that I shared with them. Uh, several years ago, um, we had a weather balloon that ended up in a tree kind of behind our house, it was in our neighbor's yard, but uh, it was kind of just like our backyard, the woods behind our house. There was a professor at Bob Jones University, an engineering professor, and his class had this project where they attached a weather balloon to this styrofoam cooler, and it had a camera in it and all of these um, kind of this digital equipment to gather data about the atmosphere and all kinds of things that I don't understand. And they, they launched it uh, from Greenville near Bob Jones University, and it went up really, really high. It took pictures of the curvature of the earth, and it took all these measurements of the atmosphere. And their plan was that you know once it gets up high enough, the air pressure changes, the, the balloon deflates, and it's got a little parachute that would kind of launch as it came back into um, the air. Or what, I don't even know how you describe that. As it came down, the parachute would launch. Well, it did. Everything went fine. The parachute launched, except it got snagged on the top of this really skinny tree in my neighbor's backyard. The professor at Bob Jones got on Google Maps, figured out whose property, uh, I mean, he had a little tracker in the, the weather balloon so he could see where it was. And he figured out whose property it was on. He called my neighbor, left several unanswered messages, because it was kind of strange, you know, said who he was. There's a balloon in one of your trees. It belongs to me. And, um, but he got no answer. So somehow the professor figured out my number, I don't know how, um, and he called me and explained the situation and said, can you go talk to your neighbor and just ask if we can get somebody on his property to get this balloon out of the tree? One thing led to another, and they finally hired this guy to kind of shimmy up this little skinny tree and retrieve the weather balloon and bring it down. What's the point of all that? Point is, the weather balloon had gathered all of this information. It gathered all of these really cool pictures of the, the curvature of the earth and the atmosphere. It was very cool stuff, but it was of no benefit to them while it was stuck in the tree. They, they couldn't do anything with it. They couldn't gather the data. They couldn't get the pictures. They couldn't benefit in any way from this weather balloon. It had done all the things it was supposed to do, but was no use to them. Jesus has done everything. He's done everything necessary for salvation. He became a man. Uh, he took on our flesh, born in a manger, truly human. Uh, not fake human, not half human, not seeming to be human, fully man. He obeyed the Father in every way that, that we have not. Perfectly righteous, perfectly obedient in all the ways that we have failed. He went to the cross. He, he became sin for us. He, he bore the wrath of God in our place at the cross and satisfied it because he was a sinless substitute. He died. He was buried. He was raised again from the dead. God's triumphant evidence, God's triumphant proclamation that the work was finished, sin had been dealt with, that there's forgiveness, that there's salvation, and it's in Christ. But the question is, you've heard it, have you believed it? And Paul says that if you've believed it, there's a security that comes with believing the gospel of salvation. He describes it as a seal, um, not clapping, making, barking noises seal. 
but like wax stamp on a letter with the seal, the imprint of the one who sends the letter, that, that kind of seal. Notice verse uh, 13, you heard, you heard the gospel, you believed, and when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, um, more ink has been spilled on these verses than I can um, fathom. But I think it's sufficient to say this. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is not something that the Holy Spirit does at some later time after you believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the seal. And what he does as the seal uh, on your life is he, he gives you certainty. The seal is the mark of ownership. It's a mark of security. It's the mark that you belong to the Father that he has fully purchased you uh, through the redemptive work of Jesus. And he gives you the Holy Spirit as the mark, this, the sign that you belong to his people. And it's, it's for all of God's people. If, if you believe the gospel, then you, you've been given the Holy Spirit as the seal that you belong to God. So there's certainty in salvation in Christ. We saw this in, in a particular way as we went through the book of Acts, there's some differences in kind of how it happened in Acts versus how it continues to happen today. But at the very least, we could say you see in these different scenes in the book of Acts when a new group is brought into the church who were not Jewish, kind of not that initial group uh, of, of Jewish believers in the early church. But when a new group came in, Samaritans who were kind of half, half Jewish, uh, um, Cornelius, the first Gentile believer, is brought in. The disciples of John the Baptist, uh, who had not yet fully embraced the good news about Jesus when they're brought in. When these three groups are, are brought in, there's kind of this lingering question. Because they're not Jewish, uh, because they weren't uh, part of the ethnic group of Israel, Abraham's descendants, the question was, can they really belong to the church without becoming Jewish. For men, that meant circumcision, dietary laws, etc. And the argument in the early church that sealed the deal, if I can use the seal word here, uh, the argument in the early church that convinced them that these groups belonged to the church simply by virtue of faith in Jesus without any additional need for circumcision or anything else to, to make them Jewish somehow. They could come as they were. The mark, the thing that convinced the early church that it was faith in Jesus alone was the fact that each of these groups had received the Holy Spirit, just as the early Christians, the first Christians had done on the day of Pentecost. They had received the Holy Spirit just like uh, those first believers. The Holy Spirit marks you as belonging to God's people. It's his seal, his stamp upon you. You belong to God by virtue of his Holy Spirit, and therefore there's certainty in salvation in Christ. Finally, uh, I said we were going to spend all of our time on this last one, but we'll abbreviate it for today. Finally, the inheritance, the, the, the certainty of inheritance. Notice uh, as he brings up the Holy Spirit in verse 13, he, he further describes the Holy Spirit in verse 14 as the guarantee of our inheritance. This passage is kind of bookended by this idea of inheritance. The beginning in verse 11, he says, you've obtained an inheritance in Christ. 
And then in verse 14, he says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that inheritance. Well, which is it? Do we have it or is it yet to come? Yes, it's both. Uh, part of what Paul is indicating here is the Holy Spirit is the, the down payment. He's the earnest payment, if you can think about it that way, of all of the future blessings that are to come uh, in the presence of God in the New Jerusalem. In other words, if you can think about it like this, um, the Holy Spirit belongs to the age to come, which is a spiritual, uh, spiritually transformed world, a spiritually transformed people. Your bodies, resurrected uh, by virtue of the power of Jesus, will be a spiritual body, and that doesn't mean immaterial. It means transformed by the Holy Spirit. You'll be perfect inside and out, total renewal. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. And so Paul is saying that future, those future blessings that are ours in the life to come, the fact that the Holy Spirit is present with you now is the guarantee that they will certainly happen. Many of you have purchased homes, and you know that when you do that, very often you have to make an earnest payment. Uh, and what that's saying is, I'm paying this amount of money now, which is usually not an insignificant amount, some, some chunk of change. I'm paying this money now as a guarantee that when closing day comes, I'm going to pay the rest of it. And God is saying to us in the Holy Spirit, I'm giving you the Spirit now uh, as a token, as a guarantee that one day I will give you the fullness of the blessings of the life to come. You experience them now uh, in a foretaste. The, the Holy Spirit is often called the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the beginning of the full grandeur and glory that is to come when Christ returns. We have an inheritance. What is it? The Bible talks about this inheritance in lots of different ways. It's rooted in the Old Testament, the land promised to Abraham, but it gets transformed through the work of Jesus so that the inheritance that is promised to believers, uh, in some ways it's the entire cosmos. Paul says in Romans that Abraham is uh, an heir to the cosmos. The, the whole renewed creation belongs to God's people where there will be no more sin. We'll live in the presence of God forever without any sin or any of its effects. That's glorious. That's, that's good news. That's something to hope for. Sometimes the inheritance is connected to the resurrection of the body. Paul talks about, in 2 Corinthians, he says, uh, your bodies are wasting away right now. Anybody, anybody feel that? Anybody feel like my body does not do what it's supposed to do? I can't do the things that I used to do. Your, your bodies are wasting away. Sorry for the bad news. Um, but he says the inner man is being renewed day by day. And that this tension between inner renewal, seeing more and more of the glory of Jesus, seeing more and more of our sin and his grace and forgiveness and mercy for us, that inner renewal that comes by the Holy Spirit, the tension between that and our outer decay produces in us a groaning, uh, a longing for the day when that tension will be resolved and we'll have new bodies that don't groan, <laughs> new bodies that don't ache 
when we move one way or another, new bodies that don't hurt because you did something that you used to be able to do, no problem. New bodies that are not plagued by sin, plagued by disease and all of those things. One day that tension will be resolved, and Paul says, right now there's a groaning for that, but God has given us the Holy Spirit as the first fruits, the pledge, the guarantee of that future resurrection when all of sin and all of its effects will be put away. We have an inheritance, the new heavens, the new earth, life with God, with no sin, a resurrected body, glorification in the presence of God forever. But not only that, we, we are an inheritance. We are an inheritance. The translators have a difficult time with the last part of verse 8, and I'm sorry to say I think the ESV misses it here, um, although there is a footnote, so they, they don't miss it completely. Verse 14 says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. But I think it's more properly talking about until the day when God redeems his possession. Uh, in other words, Paul is saying that not only do we have this inheritance that we look forward to, uh, resurrection, no sin, etc., but that God is looking forward to that day as well, and that he has sealed us, he's given us his spirit as a pledge of that day, that you, if you belong to Jesus, you are God's inheritance. Uh, Peter describes it as being God's prized possession. It's the same word Paul uses here to describe the possession of this inheritance. God delights in you. And from before the foundation of the world, he, he planned for you to belong to his people, to be adopted to himself as beloved children. And in space and time, he gave, he gave Jesus, he gave his own son to fully accomplish redemption, to die in our place and to rise from the dead so that the inheritance that's been forfeited by our sin has been purchased back by Christ and is given to you. He has a plan, a plan that can't be thwarted, a plan that's carried out according to the cross and the resurrection to redeem us and to make us his beloved children. And he's given us his Holy Spirit as the pledge of that greater day that is to come and as the pledge that he will fully make us his own and bring that final redemption at last, you have an inheritance. We are an inheritance to God, and therefore we can have certainty of it. God has given us the first fruits of this inheritance so that we might endure faithfully, knowing that he will bring the fullness of it in his timing and according to his unstoppable plan. What kind of people should we be? Uh, in response to this good news and the certainty of our salvation accomplished in Christ. Uh, let me just present two, two questions, uh, or one, one instruction, one question as, as we close. Uh, if you belong to Jesus, you're waiting, you're in between the times, you're experiencing grace, and you're experiencing the brokenness of this world, uh, and, and that's hard. Uh, and so let me say just two things to you. Uh, as we live in that tension. One, uh, I hope that you will gain from this passage, from God's words here, uh, assurance that it's worth it, that you can trust his promises, 
that if he's given you his son and he's given you his spirit, then he will give you all that he has promised. He will not fail, and you can have assurance of God's grace for you in the midst of this brokenness, waiting for that day that is yet to come. You can hold on to him without disappointment. Secondly, uh, for believers, if, if you experience that sense of certainty and security in Christ, uh, if, if you've experienced the blessing of grace, love given to you in spite of sin and the accomplishment of all that's needed through Jesus for you, if you've experienced that kind of blessing and mercy from God, uh, then that should free you uh, to love and to serve others from a place of certainty. And, and that's important because sometimes we're called to love and serve others without any reciprocation. And, and, and you have to know that, that you have the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the certainty of God's grace to you that, that gives you meaning, identity, and purpose that can't be taken away. If you can find an anchor for your soul in that, then you can serve others out of love, not waiting to see what you get back one way or the other, but you can serve them freely because Christ has done so for you. For those of you who are not yet believers, um, you've heard. You've, you've heard the good news. You've, you've heard the gospel. I hope it's been plain. I hope it's been clear that Je Jesus came for you. He's done everything that's needed for forgiveness, for salvation, for hope in a world that's broken by sin. Jesus has come to undo that, and one day we'll fully undo it. You've, you've heard the good news. Have you believed? Have you entrusted yourself to the loving care and mercy of Jesus the Savior? Uh, if not, I hope, I hope you will. I hope you'll consider his claims and consider his work as evidence that the God who planned all things, who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God who is rich in grace and who desires and delights to lavish it upon all those who will come empty and open-handed to receive it in faith. Would you pray with me?